Open your Bibles with me once again this morning, if you would, to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we do have some Bibles on the back table that you can grab and follow along if you'd like. Or you can just look at the screen uh, behind me. The passage will be up for a brief time as I read it this morning. We have been studying this book of the Bible, this very short letter. We're almost to the end, just a few more weeks. This has been a letter where the Apostle John has been really about three things. We could sum it up in this way. He's been about visible love, right doctrine, and intentional obedience. In other words, John has been reminding the church of Jesus, both in the first century when he originally wrote it, and us here today, that these things, those things I just mentioned, need to be a part of their lives. Not perfectly, but purposefully. So last week we focused, as we walk through this book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, last week we focused on, on the fruits of love. The fruits of a visible love that flows out of the love we've been shown to those around us, to our neighbors, but especially to our brothers and sisters, to those who are Christ's. We did that as we continue to kind of make our way back around to these various subjects, right? If we can narrow the book of three of John into those three things, love, doctrine, and obedience, those three signs or those three tests as they've sometimes been called. We mentioned weeks ago that the way John does this is not through a, a linear fashion, but like a spiral staircase. He talks about one, he leaves it, and then he comes back around and he talks about it again. And we're kind of in cycle two or round two of this spiral staircase of him circling back to these signs of authentic faith. And today we return to a theme. Before I read it, I want to set it up. Today we return to a theme that he talked about back in chapter two, verse 18, where John wrote about the presence of antichrists. Remember this? The spirit of antichrists. Warning of voices in the church that, that lie. Voices in the church that are out to deceive and to mislead God's people. And it was that week where we spoke about the state of truth in our day and age and the need for us, the church, to hold fast to the apostolic testimony. Namely, to the fact that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. That's what it boiled down to for John in regards to those who were deceiving. Well, this morning as we move into a new chapter, chapter 4, we move into a new section of sorts as John begins with these, this, this designation for the church, Beloved. And it's in the same vein of where we were a couple weeks ago. But here I think you'll, you'll see, I hope you'll see, that there's a, there's, a, there's a renewed focus that John is giving. There's a pressing in a bit to that holding fast that we were called to a couple weeks ago. So let's listen. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll read it to you, and then we will unpack it together. Listen as I read 1 John chapter 4, verses 1-6. through 6. He says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. As we reflect for the next few minutes on this passage, two truths I'd like us to meditate on. And think about as we walk through what John is saying to the church here, two truths that's really one primary truth that we'll spend most of our time on, and then just a brief time on the secondary truth that will backfill the first. The one primary truth from this passage, I think, is this. You must be spiritually discerning. You must be spiritually discerning discerning. That's the message that John is speaking to the church, to the people of God, specifically in verses 1 through 3, which is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. You must be spiritually discerning. I don't have to tell you that this period of time that you and I live in, this time period that has been called the information age is an interesting and challenging time. Information and opinions flow unabated. Right? Where there, where, where there was once uh, editors and, and qualified experts that would verify and clarify and qualify information as it flowed to us, now there are no gatekeepers. Everyone has a platform. And so if you can set up a blog, if you have the money to self-publish a book, or if you have an account with Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or you name it, now you have a podium and now you have an audience. And of course, that's created wonderful opportunities, wonderful things, but it's also created a whole lot of challenge and a whole lot of frustration on so many levels, and we've seen it most acutely in the past 18 months, in the past two years. Well, how does that relate to what John's saying this morning? Well, here's the most important thing, I think, that comes out of our information age and that flood of information as it relates to what John is saying to the church this morning. It's this simple question. How do we know who to believe? How do we know who to believe? Is is sincerity enough? Well, they're nice about it. They seem like they really mean it. They seem like they really know what they're talking about. 
Is, is success to, to whatever degree? Is, is charisma, is a certain amount of following? Is, is, is that a good indicator of who we ought to believe? How about credentials? How about letters behind your name? Well, I suppose it depends where those credentials are from. You see, I fear as we come to this passage and to this point that at times ours, unfortunately, is a gullible age. And not just the world out there, but unfortunately at times in the church as well. We are often way too easily impressed, way too easily accepting. We don't want to be critical. We don't want to be judgmental. People are they have a right to their opinions. As John writes to the first century church of Jesus, on the heels of Jesus' ascension, amidst the, the expanse of this way, as it was called, in the Roman Empire, while, while, that, while that situation, their situation, was quite different than ours in the information age, the problem, the question was the same. Who do we believe? In the first century, churches gathered not in, in gymnasiums. They gathered in homes. They didn't have copies of this in their lap. They had maybe pieces, maybe fragments, maybe parts of apostolic writings and parts of the Torah, the law. In the first century, they didn't have the historic creeds that we will confess later in our service. In the first century, in order to know what was true, they relied on faithful oral tradition. They relied on trusted teachers and their writings. Meanwhile, as we've already discussed, there are those in the midst of this church, at least they were once a part of this church, who are teaching strange and new and different things than God's people had heard before. And our study tells us, has told us, that these people are no longer there, but maybe they were well-liked. Maybe they looked and sounded trustworthy. The things that they said, are they to be believed? God's people are wrestling with. And it's into this context that John writes very plainly, you must be spiritually discerning. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. It's not just a message for the first century church. It's a message for the church in all time. A few years back, we talked about the church in Thyatira, in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. Even if you weren't here, perhaps you've read about their story. Revelation chapter 2, let me read a bit of it. The angel to the church of Thyatira, I know your works, your love, and your faith, and your service, and patient endurance. Your latter works exceed the first, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. You see, there was a woman, whether, we know that, whether that was her real name or not, we don't know, but 
There was a woman that had arose in the church. She was claiming to be from God, to have words from God, yet she was teaching things that were contrary to God, teaching a perverted view of Christian liberty. And so John, in this vision that he receives in the book of Revelation, these words he gets from the Lord, the Lord's message through John, it, that, that, that he's supposed to speak to them, it doesn't mess around. In verse 24 of Revelation chapter 2, he calls Jezebel's message the deep things of Satan. And it's a point that's made here in our text. Behind every so-called prophet, there are spiritual forces at work. More specifically, there are spirits at work, either the Holy Spirit himself or demons of darkness. Now that in and of itself is a stark reminder that the spiritual is always present alongside the material, alongside that which we can see and touch and hear. We always need to be reminded of this because you and I just, we get tunnel vision and we just think about this world. We forget this is not all there is. There are forces of evil, hell-bent on confusing God's people. There is a devil that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And guiding the speech and the teaching and actions of some is evil, plain and simple. On the surface, they may seem harmless. They may seem even friendly. But as Jesus said when he was here on earth in Matthew chapter 7, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So so in other words, they're not going to have false prophet written across their head. We're going to have to figure it out. They might claim to speak for God, but they're actually doing just the opposite. Demonic forces are at work in them. Now that sounds harsh to our modern ears, doesn't it? It sounds really harsh. We want to think the best of everyone, even to those who are terribly misguided. But John, he just isn't that gracious. At least not with those who claim authority, those who claim teaching authority. Sure, it's one thing to, to mistakenly get something wrong. It's another to stand in front of people and say, this is what you ought to believe. This is from the Lord. For those kinds of people, John isn't gracious. Test the Spirit, he says. Use discernment. But what exactly is discernment? And how do we use it? Well, back when we were studying the book of Revelation, or at least the churches in Revelation I use this definition from an author. The skill, discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating error, truth from error, and right from wrong. Okay, so that's a simple definition of discernment. That's what it means for us. But what about for John's original readers? For those first century Christians who didn't have the entirety of God's word. They did have these words from John. And so John says, 
People of God, by observing the conduct of those teachers, by listening to their speech, by filtering that through the apostolic teaching that you have heard from me and the other apostles, you can determine what is from God and what is not. Specifically, verse 2, John encourages them to listen for what teachers say about the incarnation, right? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess this, this Jesus, that does not confess this Jesus is not from God. So any, any message that undermines or fails to affirm the apostolic teaching on who Jesus is cannot be from God and is actually an antichrist. They're against Christ. They're putting themselves in the place of Christ. Again, we've seen this and stressed this before. Doctrine matters. Christology matters. Jesus can't just be who you want him to be. He is who the Bible says he is. The church has wrestled with this for centuries upon centuries because who Jesus is is central to what we're about. So here in the first century, the issue seems to be some form, we don't know for sure, but some form of an ancient teaching called Gnosticism, which taught that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, but that the divinity divinity descended upon Jesus at baptism and left him before his crucifixion. Jump ahead a couple centuries. In the 4th century, there were all sorts of issues for the church. Arianism preached that Jesus was like God, but He wasn't fully God. Docetism stressed that the man Jesus only appeared to be a human. Nestorianism failed to allow the full union of Jesus' divinity and Jesus' humanity. Now, you may dismiss these things as as petty discussions about the finer points of theology, but they weren't. These were huge battles that struck at the very heart of who Jesus was and what he came to accomplish. And if we don't get Jesus right, we are in trouble. And even more than that, this this isn't just a historical point, it's not just a historical survey. Counterfeit Christianity is alive and well today. Right? We've got the Jesus of world religions. That Jesus, he was just a great, he's a great teacher, great moral example. He's the incarnation of, of Jesus' love, or of God's love. He's not God himself, but he's the incarnation of God's love, whatever that God is. We have the Jesus of the cults. That Jesus is somehow the firstborn of of creation. We have the Jesus of liberal Christianity that Jesus is a social activist who shows us our inner strength and shows us what we have to offer to the world. Then we have Pop Jesus who's a vegan and a pacifist and he's all about hippie love. Now thankfully we live in a time in history when We have this. We have God's Word. We have 
the canon, the standard, the measuring reed. And it's complete. We have the historic creeds that have been confessed for generations upon generations. We are well armed to discern the person of Jesus. I hope we are. So let me take this a a step further. Listen to this quote by the reformer John Calvin. He says, The heretics in olden times departed from the faith, in one case by denying the divine nature of Christ, and in another case by denying his human nature. People who confess Christ to be God and man are still departing from the faith if they do not adhere to the confession that the apostle requires because they rob Christ of his own merit. Where free will, merits of works, fictitious modes of worships, worship, how very little remains for Christ. I think what John Calvin is getting at is that the confession that the apostle requires, the apostolic testimony, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, as Jude says in Jude 3, the gospel and all of its implications, all of this we, might, we must rightly discern. And here is where, this is a shameless plug, here is where the rigorous academic and intellectual tradition, as well as the creeds and confessions and catechisms of our tradition here in the Presbyterian Reformed Church gains strength. Godly men and women have wrestled and continue to wrestle with these things, and we can lean on them. We ought to lean on them. The Scriptures declare, Proverbs fifteen fourteen: the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feed on folly. Philippians 1, 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. You see, discernment comes to us, people of God, as we make the Scriptures the final arbiter of truth. True prophets believe the Bible. They believe the Jesus that's revealed in the Bible. They don't contradict the Bible. They dare not try to add anything to the Bible. You know, as I was thinking about this, in in, in one sense, maybe it's going to be blasphemous for me to say this, but in one sense, I'm thankful to see the demise of physical Christian bookstores in this area. Because they're so confusing. Amidst all the solid, I mean, amidst, amidst selling Bibles themselves, amidst all the solid biblical teachers and authors you had garbage and of course it, it it's all still around i went to amazon's bestsellers in the christian category i had to get down to number 10 and number 14 before i'd recommend buying anything and frankly a, a couple in the top five i'd say don't even bother don't come close to them
One commentator says this, the call from John here is to build a Christian maturity that can use theological radar to spot intruders who want to upend the church's beliefs. This is high-tech radar that can tell the difference between pleasure aircraft and lethal bombers, between minor issues and colossal error that deserves a fierce struggle. We must be discerning. Yes, on the person of Jesus, on the incarnation, we've got to get Christ right. But as, as all the implications of who Christ is, that true vision of Christ, as all of that ripples out into the gospel, we've got to get the gospel right. You've heard me say this before. And so we've got to test the spirits that they are from God. We've got to be discerning just because Zondervan or Tyndale or Erdman's, or even Crossway published a book, doesn't mean it's okay. Doesn't mean you leave discernment at the door. Now don't hear, because this is, don't hear this, you Reformed Presbyterians, because you guys can be crazy sometimes. Don't hear that you need to be annoying or hypercritical or constantly dour at the state of Christian emphasis in the evangelical world in our day and age. Every hill is not worth dying on. And there are lots of disputable matters, even in this room, that will remain disputable until Christ returns and makes everything right and explains everything But you do, brothers and sisters, need to be wise enough, slow enough, patient enough, brave enough to call a spade a spade, to remember that not everyone is to be believed just because they're sincere, just because they really believe what they're saying. There are wolves that are dressed like sheep, and for the sake of God's people, they ought to be exposed. You must be spiritually discerning. That's the the big point from today's passage. But moving on as we finish this up, moving on as John has done in this letter, that kind of starkness, that kind of language kind of has the danger of making God's people a little bit unsteady. Right? It's, it's a little bit unsettling. John, you, you say things so harshly sometimes. So John, verse 4, puts on his fatherly pastoral hat once again, and he turns to verse 4 with a familiar address. Little children. Little children, don't be paralyzed by fear. And that brings us to the second truth that we'll close on this morning. Yes, you must be spiritually discerning, but you can rest secure in what you know. Rest secure in what you know. In what has been revealed to you. One of the destroyers of of, of unity, we hear it a lot in our day and age, you would acknowledge this, is is that us versus them mentality, right? Let's not talk about us versus them. 
Let's not focus on Republican or Democrat, on Caucasian versus minority. We could go on and on. All that's frowned upon. We're Americans. Let's be unified. Let's not talk about us and them. Us and them is exactly what John talks about here. He says, in this instance, let's talk about us versus them. And he does this in order to instill in God's people, to instill in the church a little bit of Christian courage. There is an us and there is a them. Verse 4, he says, you, you, you guys, you are from God. You're never, you've never been alone. But he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, has always been there. He's greater than any ideology, any person in this world. And because of the Holy Spirit in you, you have stood firm. You have overcome. And then in verse 5, he says, them, them, they are from the world. They speak like the world. They tell the world what the world wants to hear and the world eats it up. But behind them is a spirit of error. Behind them is a spirit of deceit. In other words, what John concludes here with is is this. Simple Christian. You have the simple Christian armed with truth, the apostolic teaching, armed with the spirit who we've already talked about, resides inside of those who are Christ's. You guys, you simple Christians, armed with the truth and the Spirit, have overcome these confident, high-sounding intellectuals who have come and spouted off all this craziness, and you guys have stood firm. You have listened to the apostolic testimony. You have listened to those who saw Jesus, who touched Jesus, who were with Jesus, and you have rightly discerned truth. And therefore, you're safe. So rest secure in what you know. You see how John wants to make sure that the moorings, their moorings are still firm, are still strong, even in the midst of of shaking things up and saying, you got to be discerning, but rest secure in what you've done and what you know and what has been revealed to you. We can be sure of what's true. Because God has revealed it to us. We need to condemn what's not not true. Not, Not flippantly, but humbly, carefully, firmly if need be, testing the spirits, exercising discernment. We can do that because we know whose we are. We know what we believe, and we can rest secure in that. That's the message from First John this morning. May the Holy Spirit use it in our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these words from your servant, John, carried by the Holy Spirit to write them, preserved for generations upon generations by your Spirit for our edification today. Father, in the midst of so many voices in our world vying for our attention, vying to be believed, may we hold fast. May we use discernment. May you, Holy Spirit, guide us into all 
truth. May you, Holy Spirit, give us courage to stand in what we know, to rest secure in what's been revealed to us. And may we do so winsomely, with grace, with humility, with patience, bearing with the weakness of others. Father, show us the way we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.